Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined once again by Berto for part two of our Alien series review as we tackle James Cameron's larger-than-life 1986 sequel, Aliens Special Edition, which is currently streaming on HBO Go and HBO Max. Welcome back, Berto. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, I'm really excited to talk about Aliens because as far as sequels go, it's very different, but in some ways it is my preferred style of sequels. Yeah. And I believe you hadn't seen it before. No, correct? I have not seen it. Now that I, I watched it the other day, I was like, yeah, I don't remember ever watching this one. Uh, yeah, I, I watched so the not, uh, special cut one. I don't know what the difference was yeah. from the original one, but it looked it was good. Enjoy. Yeah, so the uh, the special edition version, which is called special edition instead of a director's cut for some reason. Yeah. But that's, I picked that version for us to watch because that's James Cameron's preferred version. Mm, yeah. He thinks that's like the definitive yeah. version. Um, and so there's a good 17 minutes of additional content. Oh, sweet. Um, and I think I definitely prefer it. Like generally I'm one of those people that like shorter movies, yeah. but I think overall, and he even says it himself, he says he prefers this version because it, makes it it's not only a little longer but it kind of like draws out the suspense and the tension more. yeah yeah it's it's a lot of subtle differences that i wouldn't even be able to know, uh, recognize off the top of my head like some scenes are just stretched out a little bit yeah. longer but also there's some major additions to it like the most notable is the very beginning when they're at hope's landing that uh remote outpost yeah, yeah. on lv26 that whole sequence where we see like people walking around that base mm-hmm. That was not in the original film. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, in the theatrical version, it was just they show up and yeah, there's nobody there. It's abandoned. Oh, wow. But yeah, and I think the idea behind that was is that in showing people kind of walking around the base and that there were actually people living there at one yeah, point, yeah. it kind of makes it more tense because then when you show up to the base later with the Marines and Ripley, there's nobody there, obviously. So it's right. kind of just like you can, being able to physically see all of these people that used to live there now be gone kind of like adds this extra layer of tension, I think. Yeah, I think now that you say that, it kind of, yeah, definitely, sh- like, it shows you, like, yeah, one time there used to be human civilization here, and now they're gone due to this mm-hmm. alien thing. So, yeah, that was that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't as good, and it wasn't as scary as the first one, but mm-hmm. it's still very enjoyable. Like, even, even though they stretched it out, it didn't feel like it was a long movie. Because like just again like the suspense and the action and the story itself it kind of kept you in the loop and didn't really lose track of what was going on the whole time. Yeah. So for those who haven't seen Aliens, uh, it picks up 57 years after the original film. Ripley's lifeboat uh, has finally been discovered, and we learn that the planet she escaped from, LV426, has since been colonized. Though when communications with the colony cease suddenly, Ripley and a squad of Colonial Marines are instructed to investigate the planet and. As you find out very quickly, once they arrive, uh, we learn it's less than a paradise, yeah. as it's been described as. Yeah, I know. That was, that was kind of cool how they, um, like, when they arrived and you see that, I, I really enjoy, I think what James Cameron does really well, I think for me, in the, so far in these two movies, is the, the scenery, like the settings. Every, mm-hmm. I think everything looks awesome to me. I don't know why. It's just, like, it, I think the attention to detail and you get this, like, industrial look to it. Everything's, like, wet and moisture. And it's, like, very, like, raw almost like and mm-hmm. it's I, I think that the when they arrived in that city it was like 
you see it beaten down, but at the same time, it has like this outer outer world look to it. Like it's a desert, it's like deserted out there, and it's been there for a while. And uh, I don't know, I really enjoy the settings, the the amount of work they put into it. Um, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. Sorry, and so like again with this, like even with also the camaraderie between the group, that group that they get sent in, which is kind of cool. I just enjoy that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So, I mean, first sequel, it's very different, I think, right from the outset that it doesn't feel like James Cameron is just trying to replicate Ridley Scott's alien. Yeah. And I mean, enough time had passed also where there really needs to be some growth. You can't come back, return to a series 12 years later and not expand on it in some way. Otherwise, people would say, what the hell did you spend the last 12 years doing? You're just going to give us more of the same. So where Ridley Scott's film Alien was very much a horror film, this one is definitely more of an action sci-fi movie. And I think that that's telling in not only like the scale of the sets and whatnot, the set pieces that you had mentioned, but also like the cast size is much bigger. The action is much bigger. We see multiple xenomorphs instead of just one single one. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think it's definitely a bigger film, though, to your point, I don't necessarily know if it's always a better film. Yeah. But in its own way, I think it's really successful in what it does. And we'll break down some of the individual moments we like. But what did you, how did you feel about the overall transition? Because you said that this one wasn't really scary for you. So I'm interested to hear, like, yeah. what, how your overall inter, uh, perception of the film. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Like, it had its creepy moments, but it wasn't as dark as the original one. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, it, it just didn't have, to me, it didn't have that vibe of like horror. It was more of like mm-hmm. action movie, um, a lot of shooting, a lot of explosions. Um, but it just didn't have that same feeling of like, m- a lot of the scenes felt like, yeah, they were dark, but not as dark as the original one. And there was a lot of lighting. Um, you could see more of the environment unlike the first one where it's like very dark, very mysterious look to it. Uh, this one's more of um more, I, yeah, I guess it's like, I guess the fact that it ha- also has more people involved in it, that doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not like this isolated thing where it's like now they have connection to a, a military and there's an army and people with guns. So it's like, this kind of loses that sense of fear. That's like, either you don't, you can't defend yourself because you don't have like legit weapons. And like mm-hmm. in, the, in the second one they do. Yeah. So I would compare it to, or I would say that like the first one is very scary because it's them being hunted yeah. by a single xenomorph. And like you said, they don't really have weapons. They have the makeshift flamethrower and a cattle prod. Mm-hmm. But in the second movie, I I wouldn't say it's horror, but it's still, James Cameron still captures kind of like the terror of xenomorphs and the alien species by, even though you have these colonial marines that are described as like the ultimate badasses and they have all of these crazy weaponry. At the same time though, they're faced against like hordes of xenomorphs and this idea that you can get swarmed and they even refer to like the xenomorph nests that they make in the power plant later in the film as like literally a nest or it's an infestation. And this idea that Cameron really went to a lot of lengths to, I, so the original xenomorph and alien was like very clearly a guy in a suit and it was all about the ways in which, uh, Ridley Scott was able to kind of shoot the Mm -hmm. suit in creepy ways with the atmosphere. But like you said, in aliens, we see a lot more of the xenomorphs and everything. So by recreating the xenomorphs in a way, like James Cameron redesigned all the suits. So that way they would be more flexible. Yeah. 
And that to me is, it's kind of like the comparison of like the walking zombies versus running zombies. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like the same thing. Whereas the original one, the Xenomorph is kind of very restrictive in his movements. Mm-hmm. And it's more about shooting him in creepy ways. Yeah. Whereas in Cameron's sequel, Aliens, that you see them like climbing on the yeah. walls, they're lunging at people, they're climbing upside down on the ceilings and all of these different things. And it it instills a different sense of terror. I don't know that it's traditionally scary like Alien is, yeah. but at the same time, it's like Cameron really captures that kind of terror, that idea of being overthrown by something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like you just said, like, I feel like the quantity of them, the fact that there's more than just one now, it's like you're being haunted by this like, uh, alien that you don't really know what it is. Only um, Ripley knows because she's the only one that's seen it. But like now, you have more than one, and they basically set like they basically set themselves in this like camp that used to be run by humans, and now it's an open space, and they have multiple of them. Yeah, I think it's just, the fear is in the numbers. I guess now instead mm-hmm. of just a single alien that you kind of see really scott i think did a great job in the first one with the camera angles of showing very minimal this one's like Mm -hmm. you're it's more fear in the number of them i think i'm glad that he actually makes this cameron makes this shift yeah because had they kind of just done another scenario like alien again it would have been like did they even need to make a sequel right and so for him to very be very cognizant of the fact that tonally this is not going to match the original Mm -hmm. It allows him that freedom, and obviously, there's more of a studio backing with the sequel than there is with the original. Because yeah, who that nobody knew whether the original was going to be any good. So, like, the money was going to come in from the studio to back them up on it, so he can kind of expand on that universe in familiar ways. But again, it's all about building up the scale of it, which then leads to some of the coolest action scenes in the entire series yeah. for me. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think, yeah, the fact that, well, obviously, the first one set like the like the standard, I guess. And uh, it kind of helped with the budgeting because it was such a big hit. And yeah, I definitely, I feel like it allowed James Cameron to have this freedom of doing explosions and more action. And I guess this one is filmed in the eighties. So it was more of an action based, which makes mm-hmm. sense in the eighties. I feel like there was a lot of big action movies. Like that's the same time that you got the Terminator and all these big action mm-hmm. movies. So I think it kind of fits in for that time, but um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely has a, it, I think it's unique in its own way. It's not, it's not obviously it's not the same as the original one. It's not as hard as the original one, but it definitely has a good, good amount of explosion and killing. And you get to see more of the alien, which is, I feel like that's kind of what you want to see after you see the first one, because you get to see so minimal of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if they're going to return to the well, so to speak with xenomorphs again and facehuggers, like you've already seen them out in the open. So the idea that you would ever be able to capture the original terror of them while they're still creepy and grotesque and they can be scary, like the idea that you're ever going to capture that same level of horror is kind of a pipe dream. Yeah. It's kind of like with the Friday the 13th movies. It's like the very first movie, they made so many of those movies that by the end of the series, like you know who the killer is, you've seen the killer. So they're really just going to capitalize on making kills as gruesome as possible rather than trying to like- ever make jason really scary again yeah you lose i feel like you lose a sense of mystery like what it is that's mm-hmm. killing you i mean we already yeah. kind of have an idea of it and they already killed one in the first one so it's like at this point you can't really just kind of like hide it back again because everybody knows what it mm-hmm. is what it looks like we see a full image of it in the first one so it's like at this point it's like what else can they do almost and it's like now they're in number so 
we got to work with this. I think they did a good job. It was enjoyable, a good movie overall, I thought. Yeah, definitely. And so in terms of speaking about like the scale keeps growing in all these different departments, and we'll come back to the action later mm-hmm. when we start to break down some of the specific moments that we really enjoyed. Um, what did you think about the bigger cast? Because obviously a fear when you expand a cast from, I believe the original film was eight people yeah. or so, into almost double that. Right, yeah. What did you think? Because there's always some reserve. I always have reservations that, well, in the quantity, there's going to be a decrease in quality in terms of like character development and whatnot. Yeah. What did you think of the bigger cast? I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, it was a good number. Even the, the people like looking at uh, uh, the, the actress that played Vasquez, Velasquez. Uh, so she was Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah. So she, she was in, in the Terminator movies, actually. She played yeah. the mom, I think in the second one. Which makes yep. sense. She plays the stepmother. Yeah, so it would make sense because I, I feel like James Cam- uh, James Cameron's directed that second one, I think, too. So it kind of, mm-hmm. it's in role. And then um, I think Husk, Husk, wasn't it? Is it? Um, yeah, the main guy. Oh, Hicks, sorry. Hicks, uh, mm-hmm. played by Michael Beam. He's also in The yep. Terminator. He plays, uh, um, what's his name? Connor. Reese. Reese, sorry, John Connor's dad. So that kind of, I see the connection there with the uh, Terminator movies and James Cameron. But overall, I think the cast was great. I mean, I mean, they're still like, these are like actors that will become eventually great actors like uh, Bill Paxton. I think, I think yep. his one of, he's probably one of the most, to me, annoying and funny characters in that. Because <laughs> he's just like, we're going to die, man. He's such a meathead to me. It came off as me yeah. like such a meat. Like, we're, we're going to die, man. This is hell. And he just kept saying that. He's like, I don't want to do this. And it's just kind of like, I was like, dude, just shut up. Like, go kill it. Like, I don't know. It's kind of got in my nerves <laughs> Bill, at the time. Bill Paxton uh, is probably one of my favorite character actors for moments yeah. like that, where he's capable of like coming in as being kind of like the loudmouth meathead. And he was even in, um, um, of course, I'm blanking on. Oh, he was in Terminator. Yeah. He's in the first scene. He's the guy that has the spike. Oh, He's one yeah, of the yeah, pokes yeah. that the Terminator kills. Right, right. Yeah. He's got the spiky hair and yeah, like the young... road rash on his yeah. face. Um, and he was, you and I watched uh, Predator 2 mm-hmm. for the first time a couple months ago. I mean, he's in that. Right. He plays one of the detectives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this film, I think, is such a fantastic combination of different character actors. Yeah. And I mean, whether it's, like you said, Michael Bain or Bill Paxton, um, you have... Jeanette Goldstein and then also like Lance Henriksen yeah. who plays Bishop. You have all of these really fantastic character actors that getting to see them all together and come together and bring something different. They're able to kind of blend in and out between that like buff and gruff kind of military yeah. persona, but then they're able to insert humor into it that feels genuine. Nothing kind of feels forced. Right. Um, and something interesting that I had read was that the beginning scene on the spaceship, on the colonial Marine ship, when they're all waking up, And then we see them like go through their routines and whatnot, start to get dressed and then go eat. And they're kind of bullshitting with each other periodically through that. And it seems like a very kind of innocuous moment Mm -hmm. or series of clips, like a good 10 minutes. But I feel like we get to learn something about them that really defines their characters. And it's done very simply, but at the same time, it's very efficient. Mm -hmm. Like with uh, Sergeant Apone, who's played by Al Matthews, who's like the sergeant. As soon as he wakes up, everybody else is like, they're either puking, yeah. or dry heaving, or they're like t- bitching about how they feel. And his first thing is he just like puts a cigar in his mouth and he just, he's ready to go. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is clearly like the authority figure amongst the group. Right. And then you have Vasquez and uh, Burke, 
who or not Burke. Um, I forget. It was one of the other characters, but they like start working out as soon as they yeah, do. No, I think and then of course you have uh, Bill Paxton and he just starts bitching immediately. Yeah. He's just like, oh, my feet are cold and all this stuff. And <laughs> Apone is like, do you want me to get you some slippers and, and uh, a blanket or something? And it's just like these little moments that when they happen, they're not like super amazing moments, yeah. but at the same time, there's enough of them piled on one another that it really defines the characters. Mm -hmm. And then you don't need a backstory on them. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that the fact that it kind of gives life to the characters. Like they are, we are in the space world, but they're still human. So they still have feelings and stuff. And like, like you said, uh, the Sergeant Apone, um, he's kind of like this, like, he's just like military like guy. Like he's like, let's get to business kind of guy. But at the same time, the other guys, like the, all the other uh, soldiers are just kind of like human and just kind of like, Oh, like let's like kind of stretch out, like get used to again. And the sergeant's like, let's get to it. Like, he's like, where there's no time for break, you know? Like, we have to just keep he, going. Apone was there. Al Matthews, who plays Apone, yeah. was actually a real... He was a Green Beret oh, in wow. Vietnam. Really? He had, like, 14 accommodations and or medals and two Purple Hearts or something. Jesus. And, like, I watched an interview with him. And even in the interview, he's super intense. Yeah. Yeah, he just... Because they were talking about how, for all the weaponry and stuff, they wanted it to be very realistic. Mm -hmm. And he would like chew out actors that were walking around. They're fake guns, obviously, yeah. but he would chew them out if they were walking around with like their fingers on the trigger of the blank, oh, uh, blank firing guns yeah. and stuff like that. He was like, if somebody ever is careless with a weapon, like and they pointed at me, like my first instinct is to shove it down their throat or something <laughs> like that. And it was just like super intense, yeah. but it's like it comes through in the performance in a way that yeah. I think is really critical to that. Right. And um, oh, the fact that I was going to say a minute ago was that all of the introductory scene to mm -hmm. them, uh, to the different soldiers and whatnot, that was the last thing that James Cameron filmed. Oh. Because he want so obviously most movies are not filmed in order. Right. And so they filmed the entire movie in different bits and pieces. And then he waited to film the kind of like getting to know the, the squad right. scene at the end because he wanted the characters and the actors to feel like they actually had real camaraderie, mm -hmm. which is really brilliant if you think yeah. about it. Because it's like, how are you going to fake camaraderie with people if you just started working right. with them? Whereas if I forget how long filming was, it was probably three or four months. Whereas if you with somebody every single day for three or four months, like they might not be your best friend, but you're going to form some type of working right. relationship that then can come through on screen right. in an interesting way. Yeah. That's a, that's a smart, I think it's a smart thing to do. Like just to kind of, yeah, like again, like you said, build that bond between them. I think it, it, it's, it feels more natural instead of like, artificially like yeah we're being forced to be with each other like act like we've been known each other this whole time when we just met each other it definitely definitely worked out yeah so i really enjoy the extent the expanded cast of the marines and whatnot mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of the humor that comes along with those characters gets injected into the action scenes in a lot of great ways yeah. like like you said we have um uh hudson who's played by Bill Paxton, who's kind of like the loud mouth who freaks out. Like when they're in the APC car uh, carrier early on, he's talking about how they're the ultimate badasses yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And like when they're about to drop uh, to the planet, he's like, we're on an express elevator going straight yeah. to hell or we're going down. Yeah. And it's just like lots of little moments like that, that really help to give this movie the personality of like a traditional war movie. almost. Yeah. Like in every single war movie, you have those characters that have like, the snappy one-liners and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think 
those moments of humor are so key to Cameron's identity for aliens that he's crafting himself yeah. that if you had had lots of moments like that in Alien, it would kind of undercut the horror and the tension of right. it. But in a movie like this, it's it's right at home, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, it's a good balance of like intense and like at the beginning, the movie starts off, we, we see all these soldiers and like you have kind of this comical moment. But I think the balance of like humor with the action and the horror, um, it, I think they did a great job at, at that at that balancing because I feel like I feel like certain times like it could have just been like dead quiet. We'd have just seen them walking through the hallways, but then you always have like like Hudson say some like some kind of like stupid remark or some shit like that. And it's just like, it, it kind of adds more to the moment. It definitely helps out. Yeah. And that sense of style or sense of personality also even comes through in characters like Hicks right. when they go into the, uh, the reactor mm -hmm. basically, because they see all of the life for uh, life signatures for the colonists are in this one part of the reactor, the sub basement. Yeah. And they find out like they can't use their guns in there because if they if they puncture one of the pipes, like the entire thing will go into a nuclear meltdown. Yeah. And so Hicks like pulls out this shotgun from <laughs> yeah. like Nam era shotgun, which Al Matthews probably brought back from Nam with him. <laughs> and he's and he's like, I like to keep this for close encounters. And it's like that line has been used in so many other things, yeah. like movies, video games, comic books. Like it's just subtle moments like that that add so much personality to something that could have been oh, I, I have a shotgun for a reason or something right. like that. Just like there's so many little touches to this movie that I feel like they're very far removed from Alien. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like they they don't feel out of place in this new kind of expanding of what it is to be an Alien yeah. movie. Yeah, no, that, that like you said, yeah, it, it would have been, I feel like those lines would not have worked in the original one. But mm -hmm. the way that James Cameron sets up this whole new version of Aliens um, I think it do, it does work perfectly and and it, it fits in well with it. with with the first of all with the actors and the cast and the and their story. I think it fits really well overall. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely though that's definitely I feel like again I feel like it's James Cameron's touch to it just to kind of balance out the horror. Not much of a horror, but more it's becoming more of an action movie now, which I think it's a it's a good move. It was I mean obviously you can't really beat the original one because it's first time we see everything first time for everything so but overall i thought it was pretty well pretty well done yeah and the expanded cast of the marines and whatnot is a really good and what they bring to it mm -hmm. is a really good balance between their story and it bringing more humor and action orientedness but at the same time it's a good balance to ripley's character and kind of like the beginning of the movie is all about ripley obviously yeah. and it we see brief moments and especially in the special edition it's extended mm -hmm. We see her dealing with like the trauma from Alien. Yeah. Like just because she survived, it's like sometimes like they say sometimes surviving is the easy part and it's living with your experiences and what that does to yeah. you. And we see that like she's very reluctant, obviously, to want to go back to the planet mm -hmm. uh, LV426. Yeah. And no matter what they say, like they can't convince her because it's so traumatic. And we even see like she has all these nightmares right. and she's waking up and whatnot. Um, and then that kind of not allowing her to ever f become like this unstoppable super soldier really adds sort of like the emotional weight and investment into the movie. Yeah. And we see that really flourish in the second half when they discover Newt, who's played by uh, Carrie Henn, who's the only survivor from the uh, infestation, basically, mm -hmm. who's like this little nine-year-old girl. And she kind of has to like 
become a foster mother for her in a way that I really enjoy in terms of just balancing out that very kind of emotionally palpable drama versus the kind of like big in your face action of the uh, Marines focus. Yeah, I think, I think so Ripley, like uh, with her characters, she, she, like you said at the beginning, she didn't want to go back, but once she was there, she was like, okay, well, most likely I won't survive. But I feel like once, once Newt came into the story, I feel like that kind of gave her more hope. Like I need to survive because this little girl's left and like, who's going to take care of her when, if, if I die, like who's going to take care of her kind of thing. It's like, I feel like the fact that they introduced a character like that, like Newt, um, I think it gives him more of a reason to keep fighting and definitely beating these aliens, which I, I think it helped overall in the movie. It definitely gave her more, more of a reason to keep fighting on instead of just kind of like, yeah, these are aliens. We'll try to blow up the, the, the base, but I'm probably going to end up dying. And now she's like, I have to survive. Yeah. It really gives her the drive yeah. and the investment. And it's like, if you don't have that, are we really going to care that she's back down on that planet if she's just there to help them kill all the aliens? Right. Cause at that point, like she's not a combat specialist. So after a certain point, other than her being able to like describe them and what to watch out for, like, what is she really going to do? Right. So to have that added layer of being like her new, like the, her determination for fighting as hard as she is, even though she isn't a warrior or a, uh, a Marine or a super soldier or whatever, it's like, this is the driving factor of her character now moving forwards. Right. Um, and I think that just, again, it gives it another layer of depth and it gives Ripley's character something to grow with. Right. Because as we find out, her daughter, when she's woken up from the stasis pod, one of the first things she has Burke, who works for Waylon yutani do is like dig up information on her daughter who yeah. she hasn't seen. And she's like, I want to find out what's been going on with her. And you find out that her daughter has passed away from cancer while she was asleep and cryosleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of like getting over that grief and her continued trauma and then being given almost like a second chance essentially to be a mother. Yeah. Or she could be a surrogate mother. Like that really speaks to her character and her character's drive and just getting the viewer to be invested in her more than uh, a specialist or a uh, whatever mm-hmm. the Marines bring her on as yeah. oh, a consultant basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think also what helps, I think, is when Hicks kind of showed her how to use a gun. It kind of gives her yeah. more of a, gives her more of like, all right, now it's kind of a f- somewhat fair fight because I can defend myself. I know how to use a weapon. So I think that definitely kind of helps with her character kind of build more confident and being ready to kind of sur- her survival. Like she's kind of like, all right, now I don't have to die because I know how to use a gun. I know how to can blow it up. I can shoot it and learn, you know, how to how to defend myself. So I think, yeah, that's definitely, those are also, I feel like another key moment for her as a character to grow. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, like I think the fact that she gets a second chance at being a mother, which I think is probably something that the character needed at the time. Cause I obviously I'm sure it's definitely not easy losing your daughter, especially mm-hmm. with the fact that you missed all of her life cause you were sleeping in a cryopod. Um, yeah. I think it's definitely, it's one of those key moments for me, I think as, as Ripley's character development is when she learned how to use the gun. Yeah. That scene is, it's funny in the uh, making of that I watched uh, Sigourney Weaver says multiple times how she didn't realize that there was going to be like as much shooting and guns in Mm. the movie because she didn't read the stage directions when she was reading the script. And she mentions like several times in the documentary that she's like, very anti-gun and she hates guns <laughs> and she hates movies that have guns yeah. and all this stuff. And I was just like, well, this is like the 
for that time period, like the biggest shoot 'em up yeah. sci-fi movie out there. And it's, but, uh, that scene is really a great scene, which you mentioned, which was Hicks and her mm-hmm. and Hicks teaching her how to use the, the, uh, pulse rifle. Uh, because something that I really, really enjoy about the movie is their kind of like flirty behavior. Yeah. Cause the more that they're, the longer the film goes on, the more they're kind of like freely flirting with each other. And there's like an attraction there, right. but the movie never gets bogged down in like a relationship drama. Yeah. Or anything like that. Like, as we said, the movie is pretty long to begin mm-hmm. with. So to have a ton of scenes of the two of them, like being more than intimate yeah. in a situation like this would just be like, I think you guys have more pressing. Matters. Right. Yeah. So it's just very evenly handled um, in a way that I think, again, complements it because like you said, there w- might be an instant as the cast gets smaller and smaller and smaller, there might be less and less dialogue right. and things of that nature. So for them, it kind of just adds a little bit of polish and a little bit of familiarity between the characters to a scene that is very kind of like standard. Here's how you use this gun uh, kind of just like scene play out. Right. So in that dialogue, they're kind of just, again, reinforcing this idea that like these are very personable characters and it kind of justifies adding the amount of characters that they do, yeah. not only for the action, but like at the end of the day, he's not just like soldier a and, Hudson is soldier B kind of thing. Like each of them has their own personality that is defined in their actions and their kind of demeanor in a way that I don't think a lot of like massive war movies have. Right. I think war movies in general, like you have kind of like the guy that makes a smart comment and then you have the guy that just wants to kill everything. But it's like you have that in this movie, but at the same time, it's defined a little more, I think, um, not only by the writing, but also just like the actors that they got, right. I think again, like these are a lot of fantastic character actors. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they didn't, they didn't put any romance into this movie. Cause I feel like you would have definitely lost that feeling of what was going on outside of that relationship. I feel like that would have definitely distracted me from the fact that, Oh, they're still getting hunted by aliens that they've never seen before. And they've never fought before. And it's like, I feel like it kind of would have definitely ruined the, the movie for me at least. Um, but yeah, like you still, like you said, you still see that bond and flirtiness, but the fact that they didn't take it to another level, I think that was perfectly done by James Cameron and, and just to keep it very minimal because like, I felt like I said, again, it would a lot, it would have completely distracted me from what the point, I would have been like, oh, this is corny now. Like there's romance in space in a planet mm-hmm. that they don't even know what is living there. It's like stupid. I would have been, I would have been annoyed to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think it it would be unrealistic that these characters are able to balance all these different things, like especially Ripley. Like Ripley's yeah. new concern is not only surviving the hordes of aliens that are or xenomorphs that are going to like attack them at any moment, but now she's like a surrogate mother. Right. So this idea she's going to balance surviving, protecting her new surrogate child, and juggle a romance with a marine that she's known yeah. for like sixteen hours <laughs> or twenty hours or whatever, like it would just be too much and it wouldn't be very genuine Yeah, because her character also never, her character is very reserved at that mm-hmm. point. It's not that she's willing to let just anybody in. Right. And we see that even in a lot of the scenes when she's uh, initially rescued mm-hmm. other than the Weyland Utani board that basically like revokes her license because they blame the ship, the Nostromo blowing up right. all on her and just saying like, Oh, she made up the aliens. Yeah. She's very distrustful of people. And we even see that when she learns that, um, Bishop is an android, right. which we learn early on. Yeah. And immediately she's standoffish and we it kind of just further shows 
she's taking her experiences from the original film and bringing it here. And it just makes her like very distrustful of people. Yeah. I, which yeah. you would, you would think that she would have been a little more distrustful of Burke from the beginning. Right. But. Yeah. I kind of like that. They brought that, that the, the thing with Ripley and Andros from the original one. Cause I like that distance, but at the same time, I really enjoyed the fact that the, the fact that the soldiers knew that he was an Android, was kind of like, Oh, like they're really like, onto the next level of androids. Like they're kind of let mm -hmm. at this point, they're letting the soldiers know, yeah, you're going with an Android. Like he's going to be all right. He's a better version of the, like they clearly didn't know that the other one was bad version. Well, mm -hmm. they kind of knew cause everything got blown up. But uh, the fact that they let them know that they are, there is an Android. And I was like for a whole, the whole movie, to be honest with you, I was, I was hoping for him to screw up. Like he was just going to be like the same, like Ash was, but mm -hmm. I'm glad that he kind of, he was on the good side. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really like the, the the thought, like that relationship that you could see with Ripley and the um, and um, Bishop. It was kind of like very distant. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that she still has like this trauma and she hasn't really gone over it yet. Yeah, um, and they. I'm glad that Cameron decided not to sort of return to that plot point where the androids are being controlled by Waylon Yutani yeah. to sabotage everybody. Because uh, again, if that had been like the twist yet again, right. like it would have been one of those instances where it's like did you need to make the sequel if you're just going to hit all these story plot points from the original? Right. But they, there are a couple of scenes where they try to make the audience wonder yeah. about Bishop. Kind of question him. He is yeah. Very, yeah, question him because especially there's one scene where he's dissecting one of the face huggers yeah. that they find. Um, and a guy, one of the few no-name soldiers, he, he does have a name, but it's the soldier that we don't really know. Right. I think he's one of the pilots. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... He comes in and he's like asking Bishop if he can get him anything else. And Bishop kind of just like looks at him and is just like very dismissive. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, he's so honed in on the face. Yeah. That you're wondering like, is this another scenario <laughs> where Waylon Yutani is like, Hey, these are your orders and everybody else is expendable. Right. Uh, at the same time though, I do like that they removed that sort of, mm -hmm. so they moved on from that subplot. Right. Because then we see Ripley, her <clears throat> character arc with Bishop in that, at first, she's very distrust. She doesn't trust him at mm -hmm. all, and then that trust and bond begins to kind of grow towards the end when yeah. Bishop saves them. And moments before he gets ripped in yeah. half, she has that moment where it's just like, "You did good, Bishop," kind of right. thing. And it just shows like her character is able to grow throughout the trauma and to not mm -hmm. sort of. She's able to grow on to move on from that point in her life, right. even though I mean, who's ever going to really move on after watching? Yeah, thirty people get killed by aliens. And That's true. Yeah, I I like the fact that she was she was able to almost like she definitely trusted him more than would ever trust Bishop. But um, yeah, I think that was definitely a one also another key moment where it's like, at least for her as a character, um, where she was like, yeah, I mean, she told me that he he is a better version of the old one. Um, so like, there's no reason for me to not like believe him. So yeah, it was kind of like, it was in, at the same time, you can still feel that there's a little distance. She kind of questions it throughout the whole movie. Although mm -hmm. there's not much dialogue between them. I think I don't remember being much dialogue between not, them. Not a lot, but like the one time she kind of like, all right, I'm still hesitant until the end where you get to see it was like, you did good. And like, then he gets shred in half or whatever. Yeah. So earlier you were talking about sort of just the model work mm. again, and kind of just like the environment. Yeah. And I think that this one, again, it really captures a lot of the uh, artwork and the style that HR Giger used in the original yeah. one for designing these things. But again, Cameron's 
sensibilities is that he's going to take that and he's going to extrapolate on that in some pretty major ways. Mm -hmm. And we see that with just about everything. I mean, um, you know, like the power loader at the end, when yeah. you have that fight with the queen, like Cameron designed that all by himself. That's awesome. And yeah. like he did all of the drawings and a lot of the concept art was just him. And he just kind of has this uh, vision on how to make things bigger and to a certain extent for different purposes, like better. Like we have this new massive planet and yet the same amount of detail is applied to every everything, to all the miniatures, to the APC, to the dropship, which we get at one point. Yeah. Um, and just like the structures in general, like there's, I think they said everything was like one fifth scale models and the amount of detail and the way that he was able to shoot that is so convincing in a way that I feel like not a lot of movies in the eighties were able to do, yeah. especially sci-fi movies. Like when you go back and watch, uh, not Star Wars, but some lesser sci-fi movies, right. like it's very clearly the technical limitations of certain things. Right. And in Alien, Aliens, I think there's like the most notable are probably the scene when they're dropping into the planet. Yeah. You can see like that blue, that green screen. And yeah, whatnot. yeah. And when the uh, dropship crashes, yeah. like those are the only two moments in the entire movie where you're like, that looks a little dated. Right. Everything else is like very pristine mm -hmm. and it has this technical level of detail to it yeah. that makes it look lifelike. And the way that he's able to cut between everything yeah. like that is just, I mean, it, it remains flawless in my opinion. I like the fact that most of the things are like, like for example, like when she, when she gets on the robot, it, it's practical. So it's like, it gives it life, its own life. Like you, you can see it, she's on it. Like it doesn't look CGI or it doesn't look like green screen. It's like, she's actually controlling it. I think, that also helps those scenes out to be like, oh, that's realistic. Like they actually build that, and it's kind of cool. I also like the uh, that tank-looking car that they get dropped yeah. off. That was pretty awesome. I that was a unique idea. I really like that with the giant wheel. It has like massive wheel. It looks like a tank, almost like bulletproof car. Yeah, the uh, the armored personnel carrier. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, so that thing was interesting because they made there was a life-size one, and then they had an RC one. Oh. So and the RC car, it was like an RC car. Yeah, yeah. So for when they have to use it on the model mm -hmm. set, basically, or when they had to back it up into the dropship yeah, yeah. before they dropped down into the planet. But then they also obviously had one that they were in. Yeah. And that thing sounds like it was a nightmare because oh, a lot of the facts on it were like the brakes failed at one point and they like almost ran over James Cameron. Oh my God. Uh, the roof collapsed at one point. What? And then there's this the scene where they're having like that shootout with the aliens for the first yeah. time. And one of the characters gets acid sprayed on him and his, his flamethrower ends up actually like lighting part of the APC on fire. Mm. And they said that it wasn't ventilated properly. Oh my God. So like a couple of characters like almost suffocated on Jesus. that because it was just like, it was a closed space right. and they're burning real plastic. Yeah. So if you're breathing those fumes in, it's like, you can't breathe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was just intense. It just yeah, it seems like a, the kind of vehicle that was built just for the looks. There's no real efficient mm -hmm. use to it. So it's like mm -hmm. I could see why there's no smoke coming out because it doesn't have any windows to begin with and it's like right. it's just there for the the scenes that you're just going to be looking at the car and that's it. And that would make sense. But yeah, those are I think that was kind of a cool. I really enjoyed that the fact that they were able to do like you said they made a little robot version of it to back it up into the plane. Oh, I, and I, I think that was kind of cool. That was, it still, it also gives it that realness to it. You know, it's like, you can tell like nowadays it's just easier to CGI something into it. And especially with the quality of graphics that we have, but like in those times, I feel like you had, if you want to get the real deal, you had to do like actually make a model of it and 
build it, make it come to life, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. And I mean, Cameron being the visionary that he is, I mean, he's able to realize that if you're going to have practical effects in terms of like actual onset mm -hmm. and then also uh, using models, like the same attention to detail has to be applied to both of those. Because right. if you apply one more to the other, like it's going to make the other pale in comparison. Yeah. So to have such like vivid detail in a lot of the models for the structures and then especially like when they're in the power plant yeah. down in the basement and we see the kind of xenomorph goo yeah. that gets uh, starts building everywhere or starts to uh, form on yeah. the walls to make the entire thing almost like a cocoon or a hive. Mm -hmm. Like that attention to detail never allows you to be taken out no matter right. the perspective, whether it's like the actors actually being there or if it's a model, like the attention to detail, again, is one of those elements that has really made this film timeless for me. Like, yeah. I can't imagine, it's one of those movies that I've been watching since I was a kid and I'm like, I'm 28 now. <laughs> so the idea that when I was watching it when I was like 10 or 12 and it looks as good as it does today is amazing. And that's really not something I think you can say about a lot of uh, movies, yeah. a lot of movies on this scale. Right. right. Yeah. I feel like Ridley Scott and James Cameron, I feel like that's what they do good. I mean, I feel like they make these movies where it's like, they really want to bring it to life. And I think, I wish we had more movies nowadays where they do practical like stuff. Like they yeah. build their own robots. Like I understand it's more expensive, but we also feel like nowadays you can get a better budget. And like mm -hmm. if they could do it back then, with their very minimal budgets, like I feel like nowadays you can probably do something better and like even make it more realistic instead of using CGI. I feel like CGI, it does a great job and it's probably cheaper, but I think it'd be, it'd give it a uniqueness to movies had they done their own robots and their own cars and their own machines. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a big problem is, is that CGI is easier. Practical effects are really difficult. Right, yeah. So while you save the money, you have to have a team that's willing to endure and actually like put in the physical labor. That's true. Yeah. Not to say that like CGI is easy, but it's very noticeable when it's poor quality CGI. Right. And it's like, this is something that I love about a lot of small budget horror movies is that while their story and um, performances might be lacking in certain instances, the ones that really put all their effort and put a lot of their budget into practical effects, yeah. it really goes the distance in terms of conveying the terror or the gore or whatnot in a way that can save a lot of movies and like mm -hmm. help facilitate it as being something worth watching because of the attention to detail. And yeah. I think that practical, like going all in on practical effects is still something that not a lot of films do. Right. So it is easy to get recognition from critics or yeah, fans yeah. and whatnot if you're willing to put in the time because it shows a dedication to the genre right. that I don't think a, necessarily a lot of the interest. I think it's something the industry is moving away from. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's not hard to see why right. with like, yeah. it's, I'm always using Marvel movies as the example, just cause they make a gazillion dollars. <laughs> but when you see behind the scenes shot, as much as I can enjoy those movies, yeah. the behind the scenes shots, it's like yeah, 90% of it is green screen. Yeah, that's true. Or they're standing on items that are covered in green screen and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, it, the green screen there works and the CGI there works, but it's like, yeah, what's the budget? $200 million. Right. Like not every movie has that crazy budget. That's true. But uh, yeah, I mean for aliens, the practical stuff, I mean, mm. even the, like I keep going back to the, uh, the freeloader scene yeah. when she's fighting the queen at the end. I mean, part of it is just little models. Yeah. Like when Ripley, when the free, uh, when Ripley grabs the queen and then they fall down the air shaft. Yeah. Like, 
that's obviously models that they threw down right. a, little, <laughs> yeah. sh- my, a little shaft. Yeah. But they still built like an actual freeloader for when she's moving. Yeah. And there's like a guy that's in the suit moving yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like that's right awesome. behind her, which I thought was funny. Like, what? But again, it just shows like the attention to detail and how well that thing is crafted yeah. and just Cameron's ability to envision that scene and how he's going to cut it between model and actually actors yeah. in person. Like it, there's no moment where you're just like, Oh, that looks super fake. Yeah, that's true. I think, and I think that's what makes these movies, you know, hold up even to nowadays, just the attention to detail and all that hard work they put in. I feel like it still holds up to nowadays. Like even though we have amazing CGI's and all that stuff, that, amount of work that they did just to get a practice, like just to get the robot moving. It, it literally looks like she's literally moving the robot, like she's controlling it. And I think it's, it's that detail that really helps give life to the movie. And I think it did an amazing job at that. Yeah. And something that I would be, wor- that I guess you might be worried about when they're doing a sequel with a new director is like, are they going to change what they did in the original one? Or are they going to build on it? Cause Generally, you don't want somebody to completely redo something or rework something that somebody has created. Yeah. So while Alien Aliens rather introduces the Queen, it's basically just a bigger xenomorph. Right. Yeah. And they still have the same kind of alien vocabulary, so to speak, or breeds of aliens yeah. where they have like the face hugger, the xenomorph, and now they have a queen, which is just a bigger xenomorph. Yeah. But Cameron was able to realize like I'm not going to introduce something new because that might be too foreign to like the language of alien yeah. that Ridley Scott created. But at the same time, I can improve upon it in a lot of different ways. And like technically this movie I think is superior, obviously because in those 12 years advances in practical effects, but also just James Cameron was able to use a lot of different camera techniques and whatnot yeah. to make it look, I guess the way I'd phrase it is like, it looks better than it is in reality. Mm. Because I read that a lot of the different scenes, there were so many moving parts yeah. that he actually would film scenes backwards oh. and then replay it and then play it forwards. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, it was something that I would never yeah. think about because everything's obviously so smooth. Right. But there's that scene where the APC is about they're about to flee the power plant, yeah. and a xenomorph like sticks its head in the door oh, yeah. and Hicks uh, sticks a shotgun in its mouth, yeah. and it's like. It seems very simple, but at the same time, you have to realize like four or five things have to happen in succession for that to occur. Like they have to have the head, he has to close the door, the head has to come in, then he has to like take the shotgun, put it in its mouth, say a line, and then the head explodes. Right. That's like five or six moving parts. So if you're able to do that backwards and do it slower, obviously, then when you play it forwards and speed up the camera, it's going to look like one fluid motion. Right. Just like thing, thinking to be able to do things like that to get the scene that you want and to not compromise at yeah. all is like really incredible. How do you even me. think of that? Playing a reverse. Exactly. That's insane. It just sounds so complicated. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It re- I mean, that's why this film shoot took longer than they thought it would and why it went over budget is because he wasn't going to compromise on certain things. And I mean, you even see that in the face hugger. Like yeah. in the original film, the face hugger jumps out of the the egg right. but then you don't really see it move after that right. or anything like yeah. that you see it fall from a ceiling at one point yeah but in this there's that whole sequence where he's crawling burke puts crawling. yeah burke puts the face hugger in the room with newt and ripley yeah 
and then it's like writhing around on the floor and it's running after her. But again, that scene only came to be because Cameron was smart enough to envision like, okay, the puppeteers can do certain parts of it, but how are you going to make it leap across the room and make it actually like land where you want and do things like that? And that was another instance where he just filmed it in reverse. He had it starting at one place and then they yanked it with a cable so that way it would move backwards. Oh, but shit. then when you replay that, it's jumping forwards, it looks like. That's so crazy. Jeez. Him just blending all of these smart shots and whatnot yeah. into a scene that we got, which obviously is very smooth and fluid. Like, it's amazing to think about now. That's insane. Yeah, I would have never thought of playing playing a reverse so it looks like you're doing it forward. That's insane. That's insane camera work. And I think mean, that just shows the experience and the knowledge of James Cameron to even think about that. Because I don't know. I, would, as, yeah. I don't even... I don't know if I can even film and <laughs> it's like to <laughs> even think of it like, Oh, let me just play this in reverse. Who would ever thought play this in reverse. So it looks like he's going forward. Like what? It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. And I mean, again, like I, as I said earlier, he did little things that really helped to fit his vision yeah. for an alien sequel where it's like, he didn't, he redesigned the xenomorph, but again, it looks like a xenomorph. Like it doesn't look, it's not, it's not red. It doesn't have massive, additional fangs or wings or he didn't do anything crazy with it but he redesigned it enough that it gave the actors the ability to bring the xenomorph to life in a way that he envisioned for his movie where it's not as bulky of a suit so the actors are more flexible and so the xenomorphs come off as being like very agile yeah yeah it makes them seem like they're like they're actually beasts instead of a man in a suit basically so when you get that scene um where the marines are making their last stand in that yeah yeah uh, command center and all the light and it's all red lights and whatnot mm-hmm. and hicks looks up in the ceiling and they're climbing upside down that's so creepy through that yeah. like that's so creepy that's and they wouldn't scene. have been able to move like that had they used the old suit. right um, that was also a scene that they filmed and then they like they filmed it with the guys just climbing normally along the floor uh, and then they just they just flipped the image oh, to make it look like they're upside down oh wow i would have never thought of it jeez no, that, yeah. That, yeah that was probably one of the creepiest scenes one of the creepier scenes, I would say, other than the fact when they get into the, uh, uh, when they're when they're first going into the cave, uh, I guess where they where the xenomorphs took over, um, where the all power plant, are, yeah, the power plant. I think that when they showed up and like all of a sudden they're like they're like there's nobody here and they just drop from the ceiling like all of them start moving yeah. in the background. That was that was a freaky scene. I was like that was probably one of my favorite favorite scenes because like they're literally like a million like on their radar there's like there's so many of them but we don't see them and then all of a sudden in the background you can see out of the darkness these things moving you're just like what the hell that motion tracker is one of the coolest things that's ever been expanded upon because in the original one they had that one that it looked like a vacuum cleaner basically (laughs) like it was very goofy looking it was supposed to be yeah exactly i mean Granted, it was supposed to be something that they just threw. I think it was Parker. Parker just throws it together at the last minute in the original one. So to see them kind of apply this industrialized version that's been made to literally track things. Mm -hmm. And then they keep um, referring to it again and it keeps coming up in scenes and that just beeping sound. Yeah. Because when they first arrive, the thing is silent, basically. It has the tick Mm -hmm. that says that a pulse is being sent Mm -hmm. out, but it's not picking up anything. Right. So towards the end of the movie, then when all the xenomorphs come out of nowhere or from the ceilings rather, and it starts like beeping and getting more and more feedback, it kind of just fuels that tension of that scene that just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. Right. And especially when, again, like talking about that scene where they're hiding in the ceiling, like 
they start saying, I think it's uh, Hudson says like, oh, they're in the room. Right. Like they're five feet, five meters. They're, they're, it's right in the room and you're looking around, you don't see anything. Like that's pretty terrifying in a way that I think harkens back to the original. Yeah. Because it is very scary. Right. But at the same time, then it becomes more about like, they're going to get into this massive shootout and they're going to get overwhelmed essentially. And it's more about the odds that they're facing rather than like a singular alien assassin basically. Right. Yeah. They definitely were going to get outnumbered in that room, but no, yeah, it, it, those, that scene is, it's still kind of scary. Cause like they literally like saw themselves into the, like they locked the door shut and they like mm-hmm. literally melt the metals together. They're like stuck in there. Like there's no way to get out. And then they start he, like, like you said, Hudson starts freaking out because he's like, oh, they're only five, five meters away. And like they're within the room and they're like looking around like, what the hell is going on? And I, I think, I feel like, I don't know, for me, it's like, I, I've never watched this. Is a, so this is the first time I've seen Aliens 2. And for me, I've seen clips of it. And I think one of, for me, the iconic scene was that when um, Hicks looks up in the ceiling and you see them crawling. I think, I don't know, mm-hmm. for me, when I think of an, like the, you also, I guess the iconic scene for this movie is when she's in the robot, um, Ripley's in the robot. Yeah. But for me personally, in my head, I always think of like, I think of aliens. I think of that scene where they're like, crawl, like he like points a flashlight and you just see them coming at you. That's just, mm-hmm. that's a creepy scene. I don't know. It's just like, it freaks me out just to think about it. Cause they, they look so lanky and like long fingers and like their heads all oval and uh, it's just creepy. You would think you wouldn't think that a, um, that a creature would be so like almost ballerina like yeah. in the way that it's like able to control its body in a quiet way. Mm-hmm. And it really does kind of reinforce this idea that the xenomorphs are the ultimate predators basically yeah. in that they can do anything and they're the ultimate kind of like hunters. Right. And no matter I, what I love about that scene where they start to repel from the ceiling and the power plant mm-hmm. is that the Marines, obviously they go in and they're all like very gung ho and yeah. everything. It's like, this is a bug hunt. I can kill everything. And they've got these crazy weapons it only takes like 30 seconds to completely throw them out of their element because they're faced with something they've never been faced before. Yeah. And for as action packed as it is and satisfying as the action is, I think the fear would always be that like, there's no tension because there's guns now. Whereas in the original movie, they didn't have adequate weapons. So it's like they're at a disadvantage for me though. It's still scary. The idea that you're facing something and just because you have a gun doesn't mean that it's going to be any help to you because you're going to get outmaneuvered or whatnot by the ultimate predators. Yeah. Um, in this, it seems though, like they were definitely outnumbered, but I think yeah. I, I do enjoy the fact that they, the James Cameron was able to get um, just that those like subtle scenes of like darkness. And then you can see them moving in the background. I feel like that really adds to the, the, I guess, horror and thrill part of it. It's like that you can be in a room with something and you, you're looking, you've been staring at it and you don't see it. And then it's like, all of a sudden it's a subtle move that it's still there in the darkness, although you can't see it. I feel like that brings that, that fear of like, at the same time, it's like now you can be sitting in your room. It's like, it's lit, but at the same time, it's be camouflaged in the background. You don't even notice. That's like, I feel like that's also like a fear of that, the tension that the it's been added to the movie although although it's not as scary as the original one the fact that they're mm-hmm. in these unknown space and they're hidden in plain sight you just don't see it, it i think that's mm-hmm. it has its own fear in that yeah absolutely yeah that again just like the overwhelming odds yeah um and then i want to touch upon like the queen sequence before we wrap up yeah 
that scene remains one of the most kind of like amazing scenes I've ever seen just in terms of like, again, that's all practical. Yeah. And it's this idea that they took a xenomorph and they just blew it up essentially. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like they add this gross, like gestation tube that she's laying all the eggs with. And it's like super gross and moist and disgusting. But at the same time, it's all practical. It's not just CG. It's not a CGI monster or whatever. And just the lengths that they go to expand on the alien kind of universe and lore in a really creative way is just, I mean, it remains remarkable. And like that thing was held up by a crane and then they had people controlling individual limbs. Holy shit. It's just like, I, it's one of those things that I could, I'm not a filmmaker, obviously. I could never imagine having the patience yeah. for getting, there's like five guys on one hydro, uh, hydro something arm. Yeah, yeah. Or hydro pressure, I think okay. is what it was. But it's like all these different moving pieces and there's five people per piece and just everything the has to be moved succinctly with one another. Yeah, the coordination is just like, it blows my mind. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of those gross scene when she like when the queen gets off of the thing and it like literally oh. rips like the tube yeah. just kind of like rips and you could see it like almost like skin ripping in a way it's kind of weird it's like it like kind of like unglues itself it's yeah. so gross it's like uh and then all the liquids just fall down oh very bueno yeah definitely not it's it's one of those nasty scenes but i think i mean even th- even that i would i don't know i i didn't even think about it it was nobody so that was just all robot the queen itself was just all robot yeah so it was uh it was yeah it was animatronics yeah. and then it was like puppeting oh, again wow. like the dedication to for those and the head hugger or face huggers yeah. is animatronics and puppeteering yeah and just blending them in such a way and having because cameron knows how to sh- like he knows how to shoot everything right. properly yeah. so the way that he was able to convey it and kind of like hide some of the little um, elements that might not be organic or it's too difficult to pull yeah. off. Like he could hide it within the scene in a way that makes it look very realistic. And I mean, it's such an imposing shape and figure yeah. that the way that he was able to make it look very natural and like the way it moves around these tight environments, like yeah. again, just speaks to his vision for the movie and having the wherewithal to know how to execute on that. Yeah, that was, that was kind of cool. That was, so that's the first time we meet the queen. And I thought, it was really well done. I like the part where he, uh, where he kills, um, what Bishop, it, like yeah. where it literally comes out of the, like out of the darkness of the ship, like in the mm-hmm. plane and then just literally just stabs him through the body and like skewers him, yeah, skewers him. and then just kind of shreds him, literally grabs him with his hand. I think and just like shreds him apart. That was, yeah. that was kind of a cool scene. I went, had to, I feel like, I wonder how they, how do you know how they did that scene? Like, cause that like, I mean, I'm sure that was also a puppet and like they just shredded apart, but like just to get all those like guts, it literally looks like tubes, like the guts yeah. all like tube with milk, whatever the hell yeah, that was. So, so they ran a, they ran like the tail through Lance Henderson's uh, pant leg basically. Yeah. And then they had a fake, right. a fake uh, torso yeah. for it to get pier- uh, punctured. Uh, and then it cuts away later to a dummy that they rip in half. Right. But uh, for the like the milk stuff, yeah. it was like, milk and yogurt that they mixed together and they had him like have a cup of it in his mouth and spit it everywhere yeah and apparently the first day that they filmed that somebody had left out that mixture like they didn't think to refrigerate it and so like 
obviously he's going to spit most of it out, but you're going to, you're going to ingest some of it. And so he actually ended up drinking like spoiled milk yogurt that made him like violently ill that night. And it was like, (laughs) so he said that they actually had somebody on staff then that had to make sure like the milk was being refrigerated. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd be pissed. But I mean, that's one of those scenes, like a little detail like that, that really makes it, he's an Android. Yeah. But at the same time, he might as well be a human and that might as well be blood because it kind of evokes the same discomfort at seeing that. It's like, like you said, all of his insides are just like these tubes that are coated in milk and yogurt and all this gross shit. Like it's the same kind of unease that you get if it were Ripley being ripped in half. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's a a good point. Cause like, like, I think the fact that they chose a white color for it, I don't know if it would it would have looked weird had it been like another color. I think white, I don't know if it was like blue or green. I think that would have been weird. Like I feel like if it was green, it would have been more alien like because I feel like we mm-hmm. we as humans have that image of aliens being green. But I think white kind of it kind of sticks out just as much as it would be if it was red like blood. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't, you know, it's interesting because. I think if it had been like a different color, like if you said like if it had blue or green, like yeah. probably would have looked kind of goofy. Yeah. But at the same time, like especially seeing like, I don't know, white liquid all over skin. Yeah. It just looks gross. Yeah. And it doesn't really look like comical mm-hmm. or it doesn't look, it just looks off-putting yeah. in a way that, I don't know, it's just like, it's gross to look at. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's out there. It's different for sure. Yeah. Uh, so in wrapping up, what is probably one of your favorite action scenes considering like the action is, there's so much more of an emphasis on action and the scale is mm. so much bigger. Um, I'm curious, like what would be probably your favorite action scene, whether it's the, uh, the power plant nest, whether it's the command center shootout, whether it's the, mm. the queen standoff or the, uh, power loader fight at the end. I think I gotta say one of my favorite scenes is probably, um, when they first meet the, uh, xenomorphs in the power plant. I think that was pretty cool. Cause you really get to see how the characters break down. Like you see them yeah. throughout those, like the beginning of the movie, you get to see how confident they are. And like, even in Hudson, you can see it. Like he's so confident, but after that scene, he kind of like breaks down. You really get to see them mentally break down. Um, mm-hmm. Even uh, Velasquez, I think she like also has like a mild breakdown, but she kind of ends up holding her like her own, you know, but I just, I just like the fact that from that scene, once they know what they're fighting, you can kind of see there's a lot of fear in them. Um, a lot of fear in, in what the hell is this thing? And like, I hope we can kill it kind of fear. It just, it just looked like you can just tell and think, and there, it seems like, and from that, the union in, in the group kind of like, it kind of splits apart, especially after their, um, Al, Al, is it um Alpone? Apone dies. They're yeah. kind of like, oh shit! Like, who's gonna take over next? Like, who's qualified mm-hmm. to take over next? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that that uh, the power plant that they shot that in was the same power plant that they used in Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, really? I found out. Yeah, they said that came. The Batman came out three years after this, uh, and I just learned that they used the same scene. But yeah, I I agree. I think that you go in and you assume like, Oh, like they said in the, uh, in the briefing, they think like, Oh, this is going to be a bug hunt Yeah. when Hicks is being, or Hudson rather is being a shithead yeah. to, uh, their inept, uh, Sergeant or their, I forget. Yeah. I think it was their think Sergeant. Corporal. Yeah. Anyways, whoever's in charge of them, Burke, mm-hmm. um, he's Hudson is being a dickhead. He's like, how do I get out of this chicken shit outfit and all this stuff, like very cocky over the top, even in the special edition, 
Hudson breaks down for Ripley, like all the different types of weapons they have yeah. in the APC before they get there. And you're like, Oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. And then you see, as soon as they get faced with something they've never faced before, it kind of like demoralizes them in a way. Okay. And that really gives a lot of uh, credence to like Hicks <laughs> being such a prominent figure in the film where he becomes the new leader right. and instantly like, you see how they treat him. They might, he might as well be a in right. terms of like the way that the squad respects him and they listen to what he has to say. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to listen to anybody else. Cause nobody else has our respect. Right. There's like that scene at the beginning where they're in the mess hall eating mm. and he's like, Oh look, somebody's too good to, uh, the corporal's too good to be eaten with the rest of us grunts. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I think like it shows, it shows the Hicks is like, I feel like it's kind of like natural to him to be the next mm -hmm. one up. But at the same time, I do, from that scene, I enjoy the, the fact that they, we get to see, like, how confident they are. Like, you can see them at the beginning where, um, I think one of the scenes, oh, shit, I lost track of my, my thought. Um, so, at the beginning of the movie, like, you get to see how confident they are. And, and they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we're ready for it. Like, they're Marines. They're, like, trained to be all this badass guys. And then, at the same time... Like once they do see that they're not humans that they're fighting, they're fighting aliens. It's like, oh shit! Like, what is this? And then you can see you see that they're all hidden and they're they're outnumbered. It's like you can see them melting down, basically. Like they're not prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's a pretty good place to uh, to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It sounds like we're in the, we're of the same mind that it's not nearly as scary, but at the same time, it is. Cameron very, very being cognizant of the fact that he's making his own movie in this universe. Um, and I think for the most part, like he handles it really, really well. And it's basically like the best case scenario. Like people like to try to compare alien and aliens yeah. like definitively in terms of like, which is better. But I mean, it's like comparing two different genres together. You know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't really make sense to me that you could compare them in terms of like, this is better than that because they're two very different movies. And they're both very aware of the types of movies they want to do. Yeah, I, I'm glad that James Cameron, like, basically, uh, Ridley Scott kind of, like, left this idea there. And then kind of James Cameron took and ran with it, in a sense, you know. And that, I really enjoyed that, that he didn't he didn't change much about it. He just kind of emphasized everything, like, the action and the aliens. And we get to see more of it. And, you know, I, I really enjoy that. The fact that it, a lot of sequels tend to be pretty bad nowadays. And this one seems like even back then it still holds up perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see what you think about Alien 3, which we'll talk about next week, uh, which is directed by David Fincher, who did Seven and Fight Club oh. and all those movies. Because um, I think you'll really dig some elements of it because you've been a fan of kind of like the settings and the model structure yeah. and the attention to detail, which I think he does a really fantastic job on. But this is probably one of the more divided films oh. into, or sequels in that people are either on one side or the other, whether they think it kind of lives up to the alien name or if it is kind of like too much of a detraction from it. But uh, I'm excited to talk with you about that one. Cause it's one that I think I've only seen once. Mm. So getting to revisit it a second time uh, will almost be like a fresh viewing for me too. So yeah. I'm excited to chat about that. I'm excited to see it. I'm too, I'm interested how, is it going to be dark? Like you you said, he directed seven. I'm, I'm thinking like this dark horror kind of movie. So I'm interested to see what kind of, kind of style he's going to take it with. It's definitely uh, Fincher trying to return the series to the original in a lot of ways. Oh. And 
when I remember it was successful in some ways, but in some ways, not so much. But uh, also, it'll be interesting. I'm going to do some research into the history because that's probably the most contentious alien film to make in terms of just like getting it made and all the different uh, concepts that they rolled with and directors. But uh, we'll save that for next time. Awesome. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.